0: two Bible readings tonight, um, both from Matthew chapter 11. The first one is Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 to 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, who does not stumble on account of me. The second reading is from Matthew 11 as well, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do, your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light
1: thank you Anthony uh, if I've met you before my name's Jai I'm also one of the pastors here it's good to see you tonight uh, one of the things that I dislike most is having to make a decision none more so when I am met with a situation like this can we have the photo up when I'm out to dinner with someone and I've got to choose what to eat. Anyone else ever have that dilemma? Who's with me? There's a few of us. Okay, we can have a little support group later uh, over dinner. This is the great thing about dinner here is it gets brought to you and you don't get a choice, so it's just like, yes. It's my kind of restaurant. It's not a restaurant, but if you're gonna open one for me, that's what you do, right? But it takes me ages and then I finally, I make a decision, I'm like, yes, this is the one. This is the meal I'm gonna eat and it's gonna be great. This is what I want. And then we continue chatting after we've ordered and then the meals come out and you look at the person across from you and you go, no, that's the one. The one you've got. And when I'm with my wife, she says, oh, we can share. I'm like, I don't like sharing. (laughs) I just want that one, not this one. And there's regrets and there's doubts over my decision and I eat it and I go, mmm. I I, I wonder what could have been. You ever had that thought? No, it's a lot goes in for me. It's a lot of thought when it goes to eating. But I look, I know it's funny and it's trivial and you're like, what does it mean? But I just want to, I guess there are times in our lives where we have those situations where we make a choice and we think it's good and sometimes we go through some difficulties, some struggles in life and we start to doubt whether it's the right one. Maybe it's the house that we've got. We thought, oh, that's the right house for me. And then it starts to break and you need to repair things. And, oh, actually, there's a wall there that I don't really like that wall there. I don't want it there anymore. And there's a window there. I don't want a window there. And, and then you start thinking, oh, well, is this really the right house? Maybe your work starts to get tough and there's struggles. And you start to say, well, maybe this isn't the right one. Maybe this job isn't the right one. Maybe you have difficulties of all sorts of different things, and maybe you say to the person that you you are thinking of the person that you are with, maybe they are not the right one. When we go through challenges in life, it, it, it gives us a moment where it forces us almost against our will to ask that question, doesn't it? Is this right? Is this the one? Is this how it is supposed to be? It causes us to doubt all the things that we are going through all the things that have happened. It it even causes us to question and doubt ourselves and who we are. In the end, we are all looking for that one thing. That one thing that will satisfy our hunger, that will comfort us, that will give us security, that will give us worth, that will give us love, that will give us what we need most. And in this passage that we've heard read wonderfully by Anthony tonight, that is the question before us. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive into it. Let me do that. Dear gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to, to just take time to, to slow down and to reflect on your word. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would give us wisdom and that you would speak to us through your spirit and through your word tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we have a look at this question, just to set the scene, because we've been on a bit of a fast-paced journey through Matthew at the moment, and that is that Jesus has been uh, teaching his disciples, he's been preparing them, instructing them, he's been preaching the good news, he's been healing people, and in chapter 10 he gets his disciples ready to, and he sends them out with the same power and authority that he has to heal and to teach and to do amazing things. And from chapter 11 through to, ver- uh, to chapter 13 and following, we start to see people responding towards Jesus more often than not in an unfavorable way. We start to see Jesus coming up against opposition, the opposition that he told his disciples that would come. We see people responding in many different ways. In fact, Jesus in chapter 13 will actually give us a list of parables on the way that people will respond. But in this passage that we had read at the beginning of chapter 11, which is why we want to be here tonight, we actually start off with a a response from John the Baptist. And his response is this question that gets sent by him. He's in jail. He sends his disciples to Jesus because he's heard of what he's been doing. And here is the question in verse 3. The question is this, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Do you hear the question there? Are you the one? Now before we dive into that question a little bit, I just want to highlight again who John the Baptist is because I think it's really important for us tonight. See, John the Baptist is the one who was given divine revelation from God. Remember, he was the one who was getting around in the funky camel gear, eating locusts and honey, right? He didn't have to worry about choosing menus and whatever else. That was it. Just those two things. He was out in the wilderness, he, was, he had a job, he knew what his job was. When Jesus came, he knew who Jesus was. He said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this, I shouldn't do this, I'm not worthy. It's like in Wayne's world. I'm not worthy, right? But he baptises Jesus, he knows that's what he's, he's to do. This is John the Baptist, the one who also says in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is John the Baptist who has been given this great knowledge by God on who Jesus is. He's also the man that a little bit later we didn't read this, but if you get a chance, have a look at the rest of chapter eleven, where Jesus actually says of John in chapter eleven, verse eleven, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women there has been there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. See, Jesus is saying, Until this moment there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. And here is John the Baptist asking Jesus, are you the right one? John the Baptist is doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah, who he thought he was. And the reason why I wanted to to really kind of draw out exactly who John the Baptist is, this great man, the great John the Baptist, this great man who is having doubts over Jesus, is so that I can say to you, I'm not going to wait to the end to give you the punchline. I want to say right now that if even this great John the Baptist can have doubt about who Jesus is, then anybody can doubt who Jesus is. And I want to say tonight, and please hear me say this, if you have doubts or have doubted or do doubt in the future that Jesus is who he is, I want you to know That there is nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. Your faith is not defected. It is nothing like that at all. It is actually a good thing. Because when we go through struggles in life, it causes us to ask that question. It gives us a moment to pause and reflect on who Jesus is. When we are going through those dark periods of life, it is okay to say, Jesus, are you the one? In fact, when we read throughout the Bible, we actually see that it is okay to do that. If you're sitting there tonight thinking, I think, you know, I don't think it's okay to doubt. I'll say this, and I, and I mean this in love. Read your Bible. There is a whole book called Lamentations because people are lamenting about what God is doing because they doubt that God is in control. You read through the Psalms. It is full of questions. God, are you here? God, will you deliver? God, will you do? Are you the one? It is perfectly normal for us to ask God that question and to ask that of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus doesn't even rebuke John. See, when, when the disciples of John come to Jesus and ask, are, John wants to know, are you the one? Please don't shoot the messenger, right? Jesus doesn't kind of go into this tirade of this, of, of, you know, going, how dare you doubt me? After all my father did for you, all that he's given you, the great job he gave you, he made you so good and so great, and you doubt me? I smite you. Not that at all, does he? He understands. He understands what it is to be human. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he is fully man. He's fully human. He knows what it is like to be us. He was tempted in the desert for 40 days. No food, no water. He knows what it is like. But on the same hand, he doesn't just... Leave John with his doubts. He still wants to challenge John because he wants John to see who he is. He wants John to get his answer so he will not doubt. One of the wonderful things about our church here at Sorrowville Revival Church is that we're a church that wants to welcome everybody. Whether you are going through a purple patch in your faith or whether you've got doubts about your faith, And about who Jesus is. Or even if you don't even know who Jesus is and are trying to check him out, we want our church here to be a place where we can ask those questions, we can express our doubts and not be judged or rebuked, but actually be loved. And to have people gently get beside us and journey with us as we look into the scriptures and find the answers to get alongside us and help us on this journey. And this is what Jesus does in his response to John the Baptist. He says, John, read the Bible. Have a hear, listen to what what has been said about me and what I am doing. And before I move on, I want to say too, just to give you an encouragement here. I don't know of any thoughtful believer who has not doubted at least once in their faith, in their journey of faith. That has doubted once in their life. If you've heard of one, please come and tell me. Because I want to ask them how they do it. I've doubted. I know many of you have too. He's not something to be ashamed of. Even John the Baptist. John the great Baptist. Even he doubted Jesus. But to this question, are you the one? Jesus reveals that not only is he the one, but he's the great one. It's even greater than John the Baptist. And it's kind of interesting that John doesn't say, are you the Messiah? If you ever wonder that? He doesn't say, are you the Messiah? He says, are you the one? And it's not that, un- well, he, actually, John has mentioned it before. In, uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, John says this. He says, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Now, why would... Why would John say that one more powerful is coming, one more stronger than he is, that is coming? Well, because at this point in time in the Jewish history, the uh, the Jewish Messiah was thought to come with strength and with power. It would be this strong warrior, this strong and mighty Messiah, this strong and mighty saviour and redeemer, that he would gather up all the strong people, men and women and children. I know there's some strong children gather them all together and form an army and would conquer the Romans and would lead his people to salvation this strong and powerful Messiah who would bring judgment on evil and oppression and injustice therefore he has to be strong and mighty and powerful as he gathers up people who are like him And so, in this question that John is asking, this doubt, John is actually saying, Look, I was your herald. I was the one who went before you and told people to get ready. But here I am. I'm in prison. I'm about, at this point, he probably doesn't know that he's about to get executed, but he's about to. He's about to lose his head. And it's about to be served up to the king on a platter, like literally. He says, I'm in prison. If you are the Messiah and I am the one who announced your Messiahship, why am I about to die? Why am I going through this? Why am I being squashed like a bug? If you are the Messiah and the people around you are proclaiming you and lifting you up, they should be strong and you should be strong. But look at us. We're weak. Everything is going wrong. Nothing is going right. We are weak how could you be the messiah if all around you is weakness it's a fair question isn't it we talk often about how jesus is strong enough to take anything and everything he is powerful enough to deal with everything that happens in our life but how often do we bring that question to jesus if you are so strong and mighty why why did that person have to die? Why do I have to do this? Why is this happening to me? Jesus' answer is a typical Jesus answer. It is an answering love, but it is radically biblical as well. Because he basically says to John, read the Old Testament, mate. Know, know what it says about me. See the Old Testament says all sorts of things about what I will do. In fact, when uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go back and tell, uh, tell John uh, all the healing of the blind and the cleansing of the leper, the raising of the dead, the healing of the lame and the preaching of the good news to the poor. Tell him all those things that you have seen. Because John, that is what has been prophesied who I would be. Isaiah 35 says, your God will come. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Is this not what Jesus is doing? Think of the Old Testament, John. The Messiah will be spending time with the weak. He will show his greatness amongst the weak. He will go to the blind, the lame and the poor. Because that is what was told long ago that he would do. He said, Jesus is saying, I will welcome and I will hang out with the weak. I will only work with the weak, the blind and the poor. My salvation is not strong salvation for strong people. No, not that at all. It is not for those strong people who think that they are worthy of it. Remember uh, in Luke, he says that, I, I, I I haven't come to be a doctor to the world, but to the sick. He's not come to those who think they are worthy, but he says, my salvation comes through weakness. It is only the weak people who know they are not worthy of it and trust in me for it. They are the ones who will find salvation. See, here's the thing. If Jesus came in strong and mighty and gathered all the strong and mighty, all the perfect people, all the people who were, had their life together and they were the people he saved, do you know who Jesus would be saving? Himself. Because he is the only one. We are not perfect. We don't have it all together, no matter how often we try and think we do. We, really, we get really good in our day and age I'm putting on putting on the facade, don't we? The facade that I've got my life sorted. And church is a wonderful place for that because miracles happen somewhere between the car park and the front door. Like everyone could be screaming and yelling at each other, threatening murder, whatever it might be. Walk in the door. Hi, everybody! It's great to be at church. It's lovely to see. Oh, we've had the most fantastic week. Oh, today, oh, it was amazing. How beautiful was it? Oh, we had a great family day. No, we were literally like killing each other in the car. See, we don't have it all together. John, uh, Jesus is saying that I have not come in strength. I came in weakness to bear judgment. I did not come with a spear in my hand, but I came with a spear in my side. He says, haven't you read, John, in the Old Testament, Psalm 22, where it says, they lay me in the dust of death. They cast lots for, lots for my garments, and they pierced my hands and my feet. This is, what's, this is what greatness looks like. It's not spear in hand, but it's death on a cross. Jesus became lame, rejected, and poor so that we we could become rich, so that we could be blessed. Jesus is saying, My welcoming of the weak is not a sign I am not the Messiah, it is a sign that I am the Messiah. It is not a sign that I am not the one, but a sign that I am the one. I came. I came weak to bear judgment and to take what you deserve so those of you who know that you are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually lame, and undeserving of salvation can receive it. Jesus shows John the Baptist, I'm not just the one, I am the great one. The one that was spoken about long ago. Take comfort. Know my greatness. It is so different from what we expect because this is what was needed. And so, what we find is with this great question of John the Baptist, we find the great one who gives us a great promise. This great promise, which actually rounds out chapter 11, which is why we read the two. It's a little bit weird. But this great question has a great climax. Because that promise is not just for John and the disciples and those around him. It's the same promise for them as it is for you and me. See, John comes to Jesus. with doubt about his greatness. We find that Jesus reveals that he is the great one, the great one that was promised, and he leaves us with this great promise. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? You sure? Here it is, verse 28. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is the great promise from the great one. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are strong and mighty, all you who have your life together, all you who are well, all you who are spiritually strong, all you who who don't need nobody for anything. He doesn't say that. So stop pretending that you are that. He says, come to me, everyone who is experiencing troubles, everyone who is suffering, everyone who is going through a dark period of their life, anyone who is struggling, anyone who has doubts, anyone who is anxious, anyone who is depressed, everyone who is weary and burdened by these things and anyone who is weary and burdened by their sin, everyone who is poor in spirit. Jesus says, come, come to me. And when we come to him, he will not say, how dare you? He, he, when he says, come, and we come, he meets us with arms wide open. He comes, but we come to him with nothing and he gives us everything. He says, Come, and Jesus gives us rest. And yes, that rest is an eternal rest where we will be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. And what a beautiful day that will be. But he will also give us rest now because he will lift the burden off our shoulders. And no one will be refused. Jesus says, I will give you rest from the weariness of looking for that one thing. You don't need to look for that one thing anymore because He's here. He's the one who is saying, Come. He's saying, I will give you rest from the burden of that feeling like you need to have it all together, that you need to have your life sorted, that everything needs to be perfect. And you've got to work towards that way. That is a heavy burden, is it not? How much of a struggle it is to present like we have life together. Jesus says, Come and I'll give you rest, I'll lift that burden off you. And often it's spoken about that when we take, this burden is taken off us and it continues on and it says, Jesus will give us this yoke, it sounds like another burden. But he says it's not, it's not a burden, it's light. Because a yoke was put on cattle as they, uh, and oxen as they ploughed the fields. It was used so that they would pull, but also so that they would be guided. When Jesus says, take upon my yoke, he says, let me guide you in your life. When I go shopping with my wife uh, for clothes, I only go shopping with my wife when I, uh, sorry, I only go clothes shopping with, uh, when I go with my wife because I know it'll always be the wrong one. I don't have to doubt that it's the wrong one. I know it's the wrong one. And she's there and she guides me and she says, this is the one, and I get it. And you know what? People go, that's a nice shirt or that's nice jeans or whatever. She's usually right. It's the right one. The great one, Jesus, through his word, guides us. He guides us through this life. He guides us through this journey. He gives us rest. His word is light. He is light to our feet. And so I want to say to anybody here tonight, if you are weary and burdened, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let me pray. Dear gracious God, Father, you know our hearts and our minds and you know that there are times when we doubt. When we doubt whether you are the one to follow or whether there is someone else or something else. Father, tonight we have heard that your son, the Great One, came in weakness so that we would be blessed. That he came to be rejected So that he would call out to us and say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Father, I pray tonight that we would come to you, whether we know you or not at the moment. Father, we pray that we would, in prayer, come to you, lay our weariness and our burdens before you, and accept the rest that you have on offer for us. Amen you.